Thanks for joining us for another message from Southland Church. If you'd like any information about our church, check out our website at mysouthland.com. Let's get right back into uh, Matthew. That's where we're going to spend time. Matthew uh, 9 to 11 is where we're going to go through today. Uh, admittingly so, we're realizing at week 8, um, we don't have nearly enough time uh, to give an adequate you know, do justice to the book of Matthew. I think we could actually spend a year in here very easily. Uh, very easily spend a year, if not more. Um, God's Word is a treasure chest full of gold and treasure. And I'm learning that the older I get, the more I just see that's true. Uh, because you read through it again and again and again, and each time you go in there, you find something new, and you're like, how did I not see that before? <laughs> and uh, I love that. So anyhow, Chris Carr did an awesome, Pastor Chris last week did an amazing job. I love that, how he talked about coming down the mountain and Jesus' uh, compassion for individuals, crowds, and then his call to discipleship. Uh, and we're going to continue off that. We're going to jump off of that. So um, what, I'm going to skip that little piece just for the sake of time. All right, so let's, the, the two things I really want to focus on through Matthew 9 and 11, uh, the number one thing is the heart of Jesus. That's where we're going to start. Because I think that's important as we go into the next part, which is the call of Jesus, the call that he puts on his disciples. And I think if we, if we reverse the order, so, sometimes we, we, miss, <laughs> we, we miss the mark because we have to see the heart of Jesus. When you see the heart of God, it's actually hard almost, it's harder, at least for me, it's hard to not want to go and answer that call. When you realize the absolute love that he has for us and the perfection in who he is and, his, and how amazing he is and eternal and his plans for us and how he models everything by example. It's absolutely incredible. So anyhow, I think we're going to take just a moment and focus on his heart and then we're going to go right from into his heart into the call and you're going to see how he models what he preaches. All right, first thing, Jesus' heart, friend of sinners and healer to the sick. Jesus, so we'll just kind of cover Matthew very quickly. Before we jump into Matthew, we're going to cover a bit of Matthew 8 too uh, to kind of show you when he comes down the mountain just briefly. So he's coming down the mountain, and now he's going into this, uh, a real onslaught or onslaught. He's going into a marathon, is a better word, a marathon of healing and interacting with people, and he's going to go and touch and do a bunch of radical things. Uh, but what we have to, to back up and just see, he's baptized. Like, it's amazing how God sends his son, he comes in human form, and how God, his son Jesus, actually goes through a process and, and doesn't necessarily act like we would think God would act. So he waits till he's around 30 to actually begin his public ministry. Before he begins, what does he do? He goes and gets baptized. The very thing he's going to call us to do right in the beginning. He goes and gets baptized. Then he prays. He gets filled with the Holy Spirit. This is the Son of God. He gets baptized, goes through that process himself, prays himself, gets filled with the Holy Spirit. And then where does he go? Right into ministry? Nope. Goes right into prayer and fasting. He goes into more prayer, more fasting, gets led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan himself. And Hebrews talks about how he was made perfect through his obedience and the things that he suffered, right? So it's, it's interesting how all of this is to come into completion on, on who our Messiah is. It's, it's his heart for us. He models, he practices what he preaches. And uh, that's a quality we look for in preachers and in teachers and in people in general. Um, but it is certainly a quality we find in God himself. And that is amazing because a lot of what he's telling us to do, he's telling us as servants. So he actually comes to serve first. That is, wrap your mind around that. The heart of God. Our God is like no other. Anyways, 
Moving on. He's Messiah. He's the king. And history tells us how kings and rulers take over those whom they wish to rule. Right? By force. They exert force over them. Right? And yet our king, our Messiah, the one who wants to rule us, he comes and he exerts force for us. Do you wrap your mind around that? It's not over us. It's not against us. But he actually, he actually uses his force for us and he lays himself down for us. That is incredible. It's a totally different, it's a totally different approach. And so let's go through a bunch of examples here. So Matthew 8, 2 to 4. So he's coming down the mountain. First thing he does is something completely shocking and wild. Goes and touches a leper. I'm not going to go and spend a lot of time on this. We have preached it before, but they were considered unclean. It was, you weren't supposed to touch them at all or even be around them. Uh, the way they handled the unclean is very, it's, it's a lot different than how we would think. But he not only goes there and, and speaks to the unclean man, he goes there and touches him, right? Do you believe that I'm able to do this? Yes, Lord. And he goes and touches him, reaches out his hand, touches the unclean, and what does he do? Makes him clean. We're already seeing a bit of who our God is. Right? Friend of sinners and healer to the sick. He moves on right from there and heals a centurion's daughter who's sick. And he's, remember, he came for the people of Israel first. He's starting there and one of his first miracles, again, he's going and he heals a centurion's daughter. He does that. Uh, then he heals Peter's mother-in-law, 814. Then he goes and casts out demons and heals the sick. And it says, to many, to multitudes, it says there. So he's going and healing and he's casting out demons. And then they're on the boat and a storm comes. We get that whole story. I'm not going to go through the whole thing. And we have Jesus calming the storm because the disciples are crying out and wondering, does he even care? Does he even care? And instead of getting mad, I mean, he does rebuke them for their little faith, but he doesn't get mad at them. What does he do? He calms the storm, meets them where they're at. It's incredible. Then he goes over at the other side of the, the, of the sea there, and he delivers two demon-possessed men. And he does so in such dramatic fashion um, that people wanted him to leave. By the way, stop here and just pose on that just for a second. We're not going to go through all these scriptures just for the sake of time this morning. Um, but you can go there yourself. Passage of the week. We're posting it each week. You can just go there and read through what we were preaching and you can read it for yourself. So 9 to 11. I encourage you to read it tomorrow morning. Have fun in there. There's gold. It is a treasure chest. You could back up and go to 8 if you want these stories. So we always think, Jesus, if you would just do this miracle, if you would just show up here, then fill in the blank would be saved. My brother, sister, mother's cousin's uncle, friend. Right? Me, maybe. <laughs> Whoever it is, but we say, if you would just do this miracle, then of course people would accept you. Of course they would. And yet here, Jesus shows up, delivers two demon-possessed men in dramatic fashion, proving who he was. And what did the townspeople do? They wanted him to leave. Just something to think about, right? Sometimes we think we know what, what would for sure work, and it doesn't always work. And uh, there is still a process. People have, people have a choice in, the, in all of this, right? So, uh, Matthew 9. Now we're going into Matthew 9 where I promised we would go. I just wanted you to see the, the marathon of healing and reaching out to the lost. And he goes right to sick, sinners, unclean, all the people that were considered low, least of these despised. Jesus is going right there. Comes down from the mountain, goes right there. And he's targeting. And I love that. Heals a paralytic man. He's so moved by the faith of the people that brought him. He just, he can't help himself but to go and heal the man that was paralyzed. And once again, in this one, he does it in dramatic fashion again, saying, he doesn't just say, rise up and walk. He says, your sins are forgiven, which drove the religious leaders mad. 
<laughs> I like it how he did both. Helps the least of these, offends the religious leaders all at the same time, right? <laughs> he did that multiple times. I, I always love that about Jesus. Um, Matthew 9, 18 to 26, he, he does two things. He, like, he's on his way to raise one ruler's daughter from the dead, which he does. And then on the way, a woman with a discharge for 12 years touches the fringe of his robe, and she gets healed. And, and we see that happening. And what's amazing there, that's the whole healing in the wings. And it's quite interesting, the risk that she took. I mean, she's understanding Malachi and Numbers, right? But, but to you who fear my name, the son of righteousness shall arise with healing in his wings. So there wasn't healings in all the tassels of all the teachers, but Mal- or Malachi had already prophesied that when the son of righteousness, the Messiah, came, that there would be healing in his wings. And that's why she knew if, if I just touch the fringe of his garment, right, then I'll be healed. She was thinking that because she had faith that this was the promised son. This was the Messiah. And she reaches out and, and, and I mean, if she would have been caught for doing what she was doing, I don't know what would have happened. I actually don't know the full lie. I just know it was a serious crime. It was a very serious crime because she was considered unclean again. And what is, how does Jesus respond? Your faith has made you well. He welcomes her, and I love that. He heals her and welcomes her. It's amazing. Matthew 9, 27 to 30, he heals two blind men, right? Restores the sight of the blind. Then he goes in 32 and 34, and he heals a man that couldn't speak. And this concludes a string of miracles when he comes down from the mountain, and he's demonstrating, and he's doing something, and his disciples are watching. So before I go further, and we're going we're gonna to look a bit at... Um, you know, the practical piece of that. I just want to back up to something we said in week one. We talked about the call of Matthew, and that we will just look at very quickly here because I think there's lots in, that, in this as well um, because Jesus is hard. He's a friend of sinners, and he's a healer to the sick. Look at the kind of people that he calls. Matthew sitting in a tax booth. They were considered sinners. According to the Jewish people, they were considered to be the worst of the worst because they had allied themselves not only with the Romans, but they were also known to cheat their fellow uh, tribesmen and Israel brothers and sisters out of money. So they would cheat, they lived comfy lives, and they had betrayed, they were seen as traitors. So they were seen as the worst form of sinners. And I love it how Jesus goes from unclean to unclean to sick to demon-possessed, heals, sets free, working his miracles, and then he goes calling another disciples because he had already called some in Matthew uh, 4, at the end of Matthew 4. Now he's going to call another one, Matthew. He's bringing his team to completion here. Um, um, and, uh, and look who he goes to, the worst of the worst again. He says, you're the one. You're the one I want. And I think there's lots about that. I, we talked about it a little bit then, but he doesn't look for the qualities that we often look for in a leader. I think too often we think I'm too inadequate, I'm too this, I'm too sinful, I'm too dumb, I'm not smart enough, I can't do this, I can't, I'm not, I'm not like so-and-so. We give all the reasons for why God can't use us and we don't realize that our inadequacies can be our greatest form of strength if we just say yes to the Lord. He looks for the lost, he looks for the broken, he looks for those that say yes to him. So if you can say yes to him, you're qualified already. All right, so um, the, you know, the Pharisees see that he goes to the disciples. Look what they said, their indignation. Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? And then Jesus says these famous words, those who are well have no need for a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. I came to, not to call the righteous, not to call the righteous, but sinners. That's our God. Love him. All right, practical. Let's just take a moment here. You identify with the sick that need a physician. 
I want you just to close your eyes just for a moment with me, if you want to. You feel there's a character issue that disqualifies you? You feel sick? Is there a sin issue in your life? Maybe you're too young, too old, don't know what to do, don't know where to start. Today I'm just asking, do you identify with the sick that need a physician? If so, Jesus came not for those who are righteous, but he came for sinners. Jesus came not to heal those who think they're good enough. He came to heal and to meet and to call those who are sick. So Lord, right now I ask that you would just speak a word to each one of us, each one of us that have identified as being sick and in need of a physician. Oh, great physician, what do you want to say to us here this morning? If you want to take that further into your devotional time later, you can. You can always download these notes. All these practical pieces are in there too. But I always like to taste and see. Amen? To me, that's always a, it's a joy when we get something to, to sit there and let the Holy Spirit just speak, take those opportunities. All right, so we've looked at Jesus' heart is for us. It's for all people. It's for the least of these. There's no one that's excluded except possibly those who think that they don't need him because he doesn't force himself on anybody. All right, so let's look now at the call of Jesus to those who will follow after him. All right, Chris talked about this a bit last week. He talked about when, uh, when he saw the crowd. So you've got to get context a little bit here. He's gone, right, come down from the mountain. He's healing, 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 delivering, 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 delivering. His disciples are following, 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 following. He hasn't told them to do anything yet. So far, they're watching. Right? They're watching. So they're watching him all the way up here like this. And now he stops and he's looking back and he's looking at, the, at those that he's gone and ministered to. And he's looking beyond. He's looking beyond and he's seeing the limitations because Jesus was limited. Ah, hold on. Jesus was limited because he came down in human form. Right? Limited to one place at one time. He could only be in one place at one time. And that's why it was better that he went because then now he's the head and we are the body and we can go and spread across the earth, right? So that's, that, that's why I'm saying that. But he's looking now at the multitudes. He's looking at all of the broken, and he breaks. His heart breaks for them. Again, this should be under the last, uh, it should be under the last point on Jesus' heart for those he wishes to rule, and that is he has compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And there was a couple of things to that. I mean, he obviously saw their infirmities, their brokenness, their sin, their, their all of that stuff. But there was another thing that he saw, and he saw the people of Israel. That's who he's particularly looking at right now. He, but he's, he's seeing his people who he's given shepherds to that aren't doing their job right. They aren't, taking, they aren't doing their job right. It actually says later that they would tie up heavy burdens hard to bear, and they would lay it on the people's shoulders. But they themselves would not be willing to move them with a little finger is what it says in Scripture. So he had compassion. They were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And then he says to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. And you can just imagine as his heart breaks in compassion, was he weeping in this time? I don't know. But seeing the, you know, the passion of Christ and how he was, I imagine he was. And I think that's incredible. Chris had talked about that compassion. I love that. But what I want to look at, and we talked about this a bit at the prayer summit, but I wanted to park here because it's important what he says next. Because it's important, too, that we have, heart, that we have a heart like God's for the lost, for the hurting, uh, for, for others in this world. It is absolutely vital. It's a part of following him, right? He regenerates our heart and makes it like his. And that's some of the things we'll see in believers. 
that have surrendered their lives to Jesus is the heart change. But out of this heart change, right, now we have compassion and, and we know we're kind of sent out. We should go and do good deeds, go and love people. And that's absolutely true. It's absolutely true. We should do that. Uh, I mean, consider James here. Look what it says in James. If a brother or sister is poorly clothed, lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warm and filled, but does not give them the things needed for daily living, what good is that? Right? So faith by itself, it is not accompanied by works, is dead. Like, there's a whole section in there I would encourage you to read. It's, it's very powerful. So we know that it isn't enough just to, just to say, well, I hope things turn out to someone. <laughs> right? I hope things are better if it is within your means. I'm not saying if it's not in your means. If it's within your means, we're actually supposed to go and do good. We're supposed to be generous with time and finances and with the things needed for daily living. That's actually what we're called to do. Uh, all of us. But... So you'd expect Jesus just to tell them to go do that. They're harassed and helpless sheep without a shepherd. You'd expect him just to say, now go, right? You've watched me, now go. And he doesn't. He doesn't. Look what he says. This is the end, uh, Matthew uh, 9, 38. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. And this is very, very, very important for us to see. The first thing that he's going to call those who choose to follow him. Right? So this is the call now. First he goes and he's ministering to all the lost and broken and he's demonstrating who he is to the people he wishes to rule. Those that respond to him and say, I want to follow you. Right? His disciples were, were, were like uh, people like that. The twelve were now following him. And the first thing that he's going to say to them is he commands them to go. So he's done a bunch of modeling. He's going to say, pray. That's the first thing he says. And that's a really interesting point, and it's far more significant than I think we often realize. And I know we have been a church of prayer, and we have prayer summits and that kind of thing, but I actually, I, I feel like prayer is one of those things, it's a language that we will probably be growing in until the day we see Jesus. Because I don't think we fully grasp its importance in our lives. And if we look at the commands of, like there are commands right throughout Scripture, but we look at, you know, Luke 21, 36, stay awake at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and stand before the Son of Man. You know, we talk about persevering in hard times. And we just assume, well, God will never give you more than you can handle. True, if you're following him. That's right. So he actually, he's telling you what you should do to persevere. If you want to know the, the recipe to perseverance, he says, pray, stay awake and pray. He actually says, you want more strength, lose sleep. That, that equals more strength, lose sleep and pray. <laughs> Interesting. So there we have that. I'm not telling you to do that. I'm just saying that's what the Bible says. It's, it's just interesting commands. Matthew 26, and we're not going to look at all the passages in prayer, just a few. Uh, sticking in the Gospels mostly, because I thought that's, that's what we're teaching in Matthew right now. Uh, watch and pray that you may not enter temptation. Here, Jesus going away with his, his friends actually tells them what they need to do so that they don't fall. Peter, who he told, prophesied that you're going to deny me three times. What I love is, so the Lord knew he was going to do it, but he still, so it's not like he knew he was going to do it, so it was just doomed to failure. No, that's not true. God's just all-knowing. He knew what Peter was going to choose. The Lord still did what you know, Corinthians says he's faithful to provide the way out. He provided the way out. He said, pray that you may not enter into temptation. He was actually telling him, if you do this, pray, you will not enter into temptation. But what happened? They kept sleeping instead of praying. And they fell into temptation. And you know what I love about that? God still restored him and built a church on him. <laughs> God is amazing. That's the heart of God. Okay, all right. Pray for our enemies, pray for forgiveness, pray for our knees, pray for the kingdom to come. When the disciples came to Jesus, they didn't ask him, Lord, teach us to preach. 
I don't see that in there, uh, right? They, they didn't say, teach us to heal, teach us to minister, but they did ask him to teach them to pray. They, they saw his life demonstrated. He was a man of prayer. The son of God himself was a man of prayer. He demonstrated it to such a high degree that despite all the other things that he was doing, you'd think they would ask him, well, how do you, you're going to send us out to go and do this and go and do this, go and do that. You should be teaching us how to do all those things. And what do they do? Teach us to pray, Lord. We see that's your source, that's your strength, that's where you're getting your direction, and that's what they're asking for. It's very good. Uh, J.I. Packer says, Yet the invariable fruit of true knowledge of God is energy to pray for God's cause. Energy indeed, which can only find an outlet and a relief of inner tension when channeled into such prayer. And the more the knowledge, the more the energy. And I love that. One of the signs, he would, he would actually say, he would see how much someone knows God by how much they pray. Right? I'm not saying that we should go and start judging people that way. But he did say, his experience, the more you know God, the more you pray. And Jesus' life seems to model that. So this is Jesus' response. He has compassion for them. He's caring for them. And his first instruction is to pray. Pray for more workers. Now, what's interesting is, about this is, <laughs> look what happens in, in uh, chapter 10. This is a couple of verses later. Look at, the, look at what we read here. And he called to him his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every kind of affliction. Okay, so why is this significant? These are the same disciples he just turned to when he saw the crowds that needed help. And he said, guys, pray for workers to be sent out into the field. A couple of verses later. So here he's telling them to pray. So now they're praying, oh Lord, we need more workers to get sent out into the field. They haven't been sent yet. <laughs> A couple of verses later, Jesus answers their prayer in them. You see that? Isn't that cool? Right? Isn't that neat? I love that this is the heart of God again. He commands to pray because he's just like, you can almost see his giddiness. I just, guys, pray because I want to use you and answer the prayer in you. I want to answer your prayer, so pray. We see it as a command. It is a command, but when you actually look at the word and know God, you'll realize it is a command, yes, but it, is, it feels far more like an invitation to me. Like a tempting invitation. Like, I dare you guys, just pray. Pray, so watch what I'll do. Anyhow, that's what he does here. He calls them, gives them authority. And then we go on to the very next thing. So we're seeing lots about the heart of God here. And the very next thing, the second thing he calls his disciples to do is to go. And uh, this is where we're going to park for, for most of the, the remainder here. So Matthew 10, uh, 5 to 15, these 12 Jesus sent out. So this is right after he calls them, gives them authority, right? So he says, pray, pray for the workers to be sent out into the harvest because the harvest is plentiful, the workers are few. So he says, pray, turns around, answers their prayer immediately, answers their prayer, gives them authority and ability. He equips them. He equips them because they've already demonstrated they're willing by following him in obedience. They prayed. Now he equips them, gives them what they need, and now he's going to call them to be workers that go out into the fields. The first ones that he would call out. It's very fascinating. So we know that in the Great Commission, we've talked about that lots. I can't escape it. I talk about it everywhere I go because it's literally burning on my heart. I wake up thinking about it. I was dreaming about leading a guy to the Lord last night. Woke up and was immediately praying for him. I uh, can't shake it even when I sleep. Anyways, that's great, right? Uh, but this is before the Great Commission. The Great Commission was to all the nations, way out there beyond, right? Go into all the nations. It's this big call to go out. Before that, though, 
back it right up in the beginning of Matthew, and we find he's not actually saying go to the nations yet. He says, go out to the people that are locally around you. He's still in Galilee. This is where Jesus' hometown was. In the southern border of Galilee, we have that Nazareth, right? Jesus starts his own ministry locally. Before he's sending people to go way out, he's, he's starting right in home, in home turf. It didn't work out so well in his hometown, but then he's just moving to the surrounding towns. He's still in Galilee. It's all small, congested area there, right? So that's where he is. And I think there's something important for us uh, to remember here as we are commanded to go. Um, oh yeah, sorry, that verse we already did. Yep. The, the discipleship process. Jesus actually follows us. We talked about this one in fall in the church series and how the church is supposed to make disciples. And I said, it's a parenting model. I do, we do, you do. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on that now. Uh, other than to show you it in Scripture, in the fall, we're really going to work on equipping people for making disciples and make it practical for people of all demographics and ages. Uh, we're praying lots for that. Please join us in praying for it. Uh, but I'll explain it further then. For now, though, that's part of the modeling that we'll use. But I do means that that's the whole be disciples, right? I go and do it first. I learn how to pray so that I can go and pray with you. And then I can pray with you. And then you can learn to pray. And then eventually you can pray. And now you can pray. You can go and pray with somebody else. You see how that duplicates that way? It's, it's a parenting model. We're applying it to discipleship. Do you know Jesus actually followed that process? Isn't that fascinating? It is fascinating. Look at this. Jesus gets baptized, filled with the Spirit, prays and fasts, goes gets tempted. What is he doing? Working, he's, he's going through the process himself first. He does it. The Son of God does it himself. He does, I do. He does it. All the things he was going to ask us to do, he goes and does first. He resists temptation Right? He prays, he fasts, he gets baptized, gets filled with the Holy Spirit. Then he's led in the wilderness. Yep, we have that. Then he grabs his first disciples. And does he just tell them to go and do it right away? Nope. Now he grabs his first disciples and he begins to do local ministry with them just watching. Then he goes up the sermon up the mount, right? Which is in, in that whole area. He would have been seeing over everything. And he goes up the mount and he teaches his disciples, sits down, teaches them a whole bunch of things that they're going to need to know. He wants them to know who God is and what God is like. And so he teaches them, and then he comes down. He goes straight into doing what? Doing what he's going to ask them to do. In Matthew 10, he goes straight into it. Matthew 8 through 9, he's just doing it over and over and over again with them watching. We don't get a single account in there of him getting them to do it. Matthew 10 now, what does he do there? Now he moves into producing, reproducing himself and discipling others. And now he, he gives authority to his disciples. They've now been watching it. We do. Now he says, now it's, you guys are ready. You do. And he does that. That is fascinating, right? The master at work. That is the master at work. He follows that same process. And we're going to talk lots about that in fall. Uh, but he follows that process. So go, make disciples, starts locally with you and those around you. And that's really important. I won't spend too much time on it today other than to say, I think often what we do is we jump to the nations and then we pull back because we feel inadequate. We don't know what, where would you even start or I don't feel like I'm called. So then we go right back to home base and don't necessarily do anything. Or we do little bits, but we don't necessarily know, well, how would I even do the Great Commission here at home? Right? And, and I totally get that. But if we look at Jesus' ministry, Jesus himself started with himself. He went through a process of being discipled. He went through the steps, and then he started locally. Actually, he started with 12 people around him, some close friends, a guy's group. Then he went locally then he went locally, and then from there he started sending people out. And you see it radiating from the center, right? You can kind of almost feel it pulsating like this as it's growing and, and hopefully going globally, obviously, and that's what we're part of. So, 
Uh, what's important here is that we're willing and able. That's very important. Uh, think of this um, uh, five-year-old boy. This is a made-up story, right? But So little Johnny is going to answer the phone. I don't think kids answer phones anymore, do they? <laughs> I think they only text. But uh, imagine, if you will, the older ones will know what I'm talking about. These things, they ring and you actually talk on them. You don't just write on them. It's, a, <laughs> it's bizarre. But anyway, so the phone rings and little Johnny is like, I want to answer the phone. I want to answer the phone. So he runs up there. He's five years old and he answers the phone. Are, are your mom and dad there? And he says, nope, nope, mom and dad aren't here. Uh, well, will you take him? Uh, can you tell them we called? Yep, sure. I'll, I'll, I'll take a message. And they say, so tell them it was Mary and Ben that called. He says, uh, how do you spell that? And they start spelling, and how do, you, how do you do an M? And you realize very quickly, oh, not actually. So you see a lot of willingness, not a lot of ability to actually help in what he was trying to do. That's actually a very important piece that we can't skip in this whole process. So we start with being willing, but then you actually have to submit yourself to a process of being discipled yourself. We actually have to grow ourselves if we're going to go and reach those that we wish to reach, right? And that's a very important piece. Um, all right, practical piece. We're going to stop right here again, very quickly. Because something as important as are we willing to go when he has commanded us to go, when he sends us out, whether it's locally or beyond, is critical for us to answer that question. So, Lord, I just ask for each one of us right now that you'd quiet our hearts, that you'd examine them for us. And I'm going to ask each one of you, are you willing to go? Whether he would ask you to go locally or beyond, are you willing to go? Lord, for, for us that have said yes, uh, we are willing, Lord. Uh, we mean it. We're telling you from our hearts that we are committing ourselves to whatever is your way is our way. Uh, we want to be a part of being sent out. We're willing to be sent out, whatever that looks like. Uh, if that's what you're going to ask, then Lord, we want you to know that we are willing. And Lord, yet I know there's others in here that will be wrestling with this, and it's honest wrestling. It's not bad. Sometimes we're not quite ready, and we just feel like, well, I don't know. I haven't counted the cost. And so, Lord, I, I get being at that spot, and I think there's wisdom in that sometimes to take the time to count the cost. But Lord, then I'm asking that you would work in each one of our hearts by your spirit, that you would begin showing us the things that are warring for our time and attention and affection. Because I think all of us in here can honestly say we love you, uh, but sometimes our, our hearts get crowded out by lots of things, and we're not sure what that means. And so, Lord, today I'm asking that your spirit would meet with each of us, that you would give us the desire to go, that you would grow us in praying for those that we would go to, and, Lord, that you would strengthen us in our resolve uh, to go and be sent out wherever that is that you're asking us to go. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, Jesus stands ready to empower each one of you with his spirit, to walk with you, to give us the words to speak, to equip us, and best of all, to walk with us every step of the word our way. Behold, I'm sending you out. Uh, just look at this. Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Think about that strategy. <laughs> you ever thought about that? Again, think conquest. Who would you send in? Like when, you, when you're doing a military conquest and you're trying to overcome someone, uh, you're going to send your sheep against wolves. Said no military strategist ever in the history of mankind. 
That would never be the plan. That is the worst plan. It's the very worst plan you could come up with, actually. If we would talk about awards for the worst plan, that would, this would sit at the top. I will send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. And think about this. This is who God is. The ones he wishes to rule. We would just think, go in there and like send your angels. Send an army. Demonstrations of power, of, grand, of grandeur. And they'll all bow down before you. And he says, no, that's not the way I work. The Son of Man came not to serve, but, or not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as ransom for many. And he says to those who choose to follow him that you are not above, that a disciple is not above the, the master nor the student above the teacher. And just as he modeled that for us, he is now calling us to go. He sends us out, whether into our local regions or into our families or friendship circles or beyond into other areas. And he sends us out and you think, okay, well, fine, if I'm going to go, if I'm going to go, I think I can muster up enough courage to do this. This is our thinking. I'll muster up enough courage, but Lord, you got to give me like, you got to give me rock solid confidence. I got to be a, I got to be a good speaker, right? Wouldn't you need to be a good speaker to go out and start talking to people about Jesus? I need to be able to speak and really well. Like, I mean so well that I always have a response for everyone. Uh, I need to be strong. I need to be, have the right personality. I need to have the right gifting, smart enough, blah, 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 fill in the blanks enough. And the Lord says, that's not how I work. I send out sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocents as doves. When they deliver you over, do not be anxious. This is a couple of verses later. I'm skipping through there. I would really encourage you to read Matthew 10, 16 to 28 and ask the Holy Spirit first to speak to you as you do it. Lord, speak to me. What do you want to say to me personally and to my family? But look what he says, when they deliver you over. When they deliver you over. When they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say for what you are to say will be given you in that hour for it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of the Father speaking through you. He's saying you don't have to know how to speak. You don't need to have it all figured out first. You go and you go in my spirit. And in the moments when you need it the most, I will be there with you in the fire. That is a promise we have if we walk with him in obedience. That is a promise we have. He walks with us right into the fire. Gives us what we need. Stephen Sean, bright and spoke an incredibly powerful message that pierced the hearts of many as they stoned him to death. The first martyr. And I'm not saying that we'll all be martyrs either. I don't think we'll see that here in Canada, at least not for the foreseeable future. Many of our brothers and sisters though are. But even if we're not called to be martyrs, we are called to pick up our cross, a picture of a torture device, and to follow him daily. That is what we're called to do, to lay down our lives, to surrender ownership. There should still be a relinquishment of our lives regardless of whether, what it leads to. So this is what he's sending up. God's master plan to set up a new kingdom is not to send in an army. It's to send meek, weak, inadequate sheep into the midst of wolves. And by his spirit, he overcomes them. By his spirit. And you know what I love about his plan? No one gets the glory. No one steals it from the Lord. He will be glorified in the end. And one day all knees will bow and every tongue will confess that he is the Lord and they will see him for what he's done and great things has he done. You know what I love too? Now we get towards the end here. Um, we get a promise of reward. Now, it's funny to me, you know, when we go through some of these passages, 
I'm pretty sure a lot of us, me included, want to skim through Matthew 10. Whew, that's our brothers and sisters in Iran. Uh, thankfully, that's not here. We don't have to worry about being sent out, you know, in the midst of wolves, right? That'd be pretty terrible. But then we get to the next part, promise of rewards. Oh, yeah, here we go. This is what we want. And I'm going to talk about the third promise, too. It's interesting to me how we often want to embrace the promises of God. We hold him to that. But we don't necessarily hold ourselves to the commands of God. You see that double standard? And I know there's grace when we're trying. I'm not saying that. This is not a works message. There is grace and he does a work in you, but you got to let him do it. But you got to let him do it. Anyways, look at this wonderful promise here. And whoever gives one of these little ones even a cup of cold water because he is a disciple, truly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. He's saying, as you're going, you're going out and you're thinking big, grand, right? Big, preaching to thousands. He says, no, no, no. Some will be called to do that. Many others are going to do small acts of kindness and generosity. and They're going to demonstrate who I am in the smallest ways. They're going to turn the other cheek when someone says a harsh word and they're going to do it in my name and they will by no means lose their reward. Every little act done in faith will be remembered and rewarded. Enter into chapter 11. We have John. John's now wondering, you know, Jesus is moving around doing this amazing ministry as he is calling his disciples, right? I love it. You see the progression of modeling, teaching, sending, preparing them to suffer. Now in, in chapter 11, you know, we start in the beginning there. I won't read the whole thing because I want to jump to the end. Um, but uh, John wants confirmation. Is this, are you the Messiah? <laughs> right? And uh, Jesus confirms that he's the Messiah. And we get to the end of Matthew 11. And here's another promise that I think all of us know and all of us probably have gone to the Lord at some point, or maybe many of us anyways, and said, Lord, I'm coming to you for rest. Right? All you were tired and heavy laden. Look at this, how Jesus starts it though. I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. So qualifier here. There's a qualifier to get to the next part on how we come. This is not an intellectual exercise. You don't need to be a scholar. You don't need to be that amazing. You actually just need to be a, a child. <laughs> Can you come to him like a child? Look, Jesus is giddy in excitement. <laughs> You've hidden these things. He's thanking the Father. You've hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father. No one knows the Father except the Son and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. So he's establishing his authority, right? So Jesus is worshiping God and he establishes his authority as the Son of God. And then he goes on to say, come to me. All you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Friends, think about what he is actually saying here, because this is an incredible promise. But I think sometimes we want to, we want to get this promise as we're still not totally sure if we want to go, <laughs> right? This promise was given at the end of a whole sermon series on going out and being willing to count the cost and pick up your cross and follow him and not deny him in the worst circumstances. And he recognizes that what he's calling them to is only about impossibly hard and no one can do it on their own. He's calling them to, to pick up a device of torture, follow him. He's calling them to be willing to expose themselves to torture, to ridicule, and ultimately to death. And he gives some stiff warnings in there too that only those who persevere to the end will be saved. And you're like, oh Lord, these are hard sayings. These are hard teachings. You're calling us to something high. Then we get to the end here and he says, come to me all who are tired and heavy laden and I will give you rest. 
take my yoke upon me or upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and lowly of heart. Yoke is easy, burden is light. His commandments are not burdensome, it says in Scripture. They aren't, because he carries them. When we follow him in obedience, his yoke is easy because he is yoking himself to us. He's the strong bull, we're the weak one. He's carrying the vast majority of that load, but he's asking us to walk in step with him. And that's the important piece. So I'm going to put this, uh, this, uh, this last piece on there. So I, I like the, uh, the third. So we have Jesus' call for those who choose to follow him. First, he commands us to pray. Second, to go. That starts locally, with yourself, and then locally, and then beyond. Third, for those that choose to follow him, he promises, even when it's hard, he promises us the very best thing, rest, but even better than that, his ever-present presence. <laughs> Sorry. You know, we all have our, our truth that carries us through. That last one's mine. That's what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego got. <laughs> and they got saved from the fire. But their heart going in. We know that God is able, and even if he isn't, we're not going to bow down. <laughs> and then who shows up in the flames? God himself. So, yeah, there we go. All right, so we got just a few seconds here. This is the map challenge for the week. Um, if you go and look online, it'll also have the, the memory verse of the week is also going to be on there. I think it's Matthew 5.10. Um, so read it, write it, pray it, say it. That's kind of the model that we give. I took it from another church. I didn't come up with it. If you think, wow, that's clever. Not my own. Uh, I took it. But uh, do it. It's great. It's a great model for, for memorization. So I'd encourage you to try it. Uh, but this is what I'm encouraging you guys today. Uh, pray for desire for desire, to raise up workers for the harvest, for all in our church and our community and the, the church, the universal church, to grow in passion and desire for the Great Commission. Jesus, how did he start? He had great compassion on the crowds. They were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. The first thing he called his disciples to was to pray. To pray for them and to pray for workers to be raised up. So church, will we pray? Will we pray? then let's pray. I know we pray for the things that are important to us, but let's also be sure to, to carve out time and margin to pray for the things that are important to him. Okay, that's the first one. I'll make it through the rest here. <laughs> commit. Go. Commit your way to the Lord. And if you're not ready to, then, then, at least, then go back and journal and figure out why. Count the cost. And, and if you're not sure how to do that, talk to a mentor or a friend or someone you know that's, that it's prayerful that will pray through that with you. Call the church. We have people that will do it with you here or someone in your cell or someone like that. But go to someone that will help you work through that because that's an important question. I've always said if there's anything that will put a stop in the process of growth in the Christian walk, it's a no. The biggest, most important thing is are we willing? Yes, Lord, I am willing. From the rest there, we don't have to be perfect. Direction is more important than perfection. We won't be perfect. We'll fall. There's grace. It's not works. We're saved. It's a gift. But he does ask for willing followers. And so that's the first part. Uh, then commit to praying for the lost and the struggling in your friends, in, the, in your sphere. Start praying for them. You know what sometimes what people tell me and what I've often, what I used to think? Well, Lord, I don't always have the, mar or I don't always have the people. I don't have the opportunities. You know what I have found as I've, as I've just started praying? I pray all the time. My prayer life has grown lots, especially in the last year and a half, which I'm sure it has for many of yours. Um, but you know what I have found? 
the busier I'm getting, which I am, I'm still having opportunities all the time. And he gives me margin. Why? Because I've given him margin. You give him things and watch and then put it on him. And it's not that we always have to, to come up with it on our own. Pray and ask, right? And start praying for those in your immediate area and then start looking for opportunities. Ask for opportunities to be a blessing, to give a cup of cold water. And for those that are a little bit further in the journey, if the opportunity presents themselves, pray for an opportunity to share your faith with someone this week. Just ask the Lord. I dare you. Ask him for an opportunity. Ask him daily. Lord, give me an opportunity to share my faith with someone that needs it, to share the truth. And then lastly, it's not a point on there, and that is rest. And you'll see this online in the map challenge. You can go there. That's, I'm walking you through all of those three calls, right? The two calls and the promise. That promise of rest. If you're not feeling that in your, in your walk with Jesus, I'm going to challenge you to do two things. One, ask yourself, are you spending time with him? Because that, that might just be an easy answer. Two, if you are spending time with him, but but you just can't get there, then I would encourage you to pray through again with a friend or mentor or someone who's trained, like a personal prayer minister or someone at the church uh, who can help you figure out what it is in your heart that's keeping you from being able to either give something fully to Jesus or to let him fully in or whatever might be there. Because Jesus is a friend of sinners and a healer to the sick. He'll help you if you're willing. Let's pray. Lord, Your heart for us is, we can't even fathom it. Actually, we can't fathom it. We can't wrap our minds around it. It's, oh, it's beyond anything we can understand. I, you're even able to correct us. You correct us, and somehow we feel encouraged. I've often, I've often chuckled at that. And, you know, you've corrected me in my devotional times, and I only realize later when I'm sharing it with someone else that, that you rebuked me. You have this way about you that's so much different than us. I always wish that I could be like that with my own kids or those in my sphere. But Lord, none of us are like you. We're all wanting to become more like you, but none of us are like you. You're perfect. You love unconditionally. You're not petty. You're not petty in in a negative way, but yet you care about all the small details. You care about the hairs on our head. You care about the sparrows finding food. I don't even have much care for those birds. You care for all of them. You care for the insects. You care for this earth. It is absolutely, we can't even fathom the care and the love that you demonstrate. And so Lord, today is, all all I'm asking is that you would move us to be a people that would be willing to say yes to you in whatever you ask us to do. That we would be known here at Southland and beyond. But right now, this is our local body. That's why I'm praying for us. It's It's not about us. It's actually about you. And I wish you'd do this for everyone. But Lord, for us specifically in this season, would we be known for our love for you, our love for others, but then the way that we follow you in simple obedience. That's all we're asking. Give us the courage. Give us your spirit, the power to do that. And then Lord, we will rise and we will bless your name every day till the day that we see you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for joining us for our weekend message. If you have any needs or prayer requests, please give us a call at 204-326-9020 or email prayer at myselfland.com. Once again, our phone number is 204-326-9020 and the email address is prayer at myselfland.com.